When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on a married wedding guest not getting a plus one on the invite, being addressed with titles like Mr. and Mrs., receiving gifts that don't match your style, and sending thank you notes when you've already thanked someone in person. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, your question of the week is about not sitting with your partner at a dinner party. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript on holiday gift giving. All that's coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Dan Post-Senning. And I'm Lizzie Post. And I remembered to say it after I did the intro You today. did! That was like the first time we didn't have a redo on that. You are right. You are right. We're try. You know, we try to be a little different every now and again. Audience, we try. We try. Must be feeling good on this short week getting ready for the holiday. I know. In part, I wish we could record after Thanksgiving because then we could tell everyone about our meal and it would still kind of fit within the timing. Like everyone comes back on Monday. We all kind of gather here at the pod, that sort of thing. But... It's not happening that way. <laughs> and and we're kind of the ones making it not happen that way. <laughs> I am very ready for the Thanksgiving break because I know that you are too. And I am guessing that by the time this show's air, show airs, that we will both be very full-bellied and, and grateful for our families and our long weekends and, and all of that. But right now we're, we're, we're on the edge. We're almost... Almost at the break, cause almost at vacation. I know. I don't want to put too much pressure on the thought, but I'm looking forward <laughs> to relaxing. Yes, so much, so much so. <laughs> Dan, I got a question for you. Go for it, Lizzie Post. And that's, how are you all doing Thanksgiving? Because typically when I think about you and like we kind of go our separate ways for this holiday, Christmas is the one that we often join up for. What, um, like, I, I think of you as often having a lot of engagements. There's like <laughs> the party with the fam. There's a party that also takes on a Mediterranean feel, right? Isn't there one that has some like, like not a totally different theme for the, for the meal, but there's that party. I am assuming you guys might even go see Pooja's family. How are you handling all? I think of it as like big party weekend for you. What's, what's the scope this weekend, both now that people are vaccinated, but you know, it's sort of high surge rates here in the Northeast. What, what's the plan this year? The plan has been finally solidified. And ah, well, good thing. <laughs> it's a version of what you're describing. You, okay. you sort of combined uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving where Pooja and I and our family definitely have rounds to make. And mm -hmm. The Thanksgiving version of that does include a, oftentimes a lunch that comes from a particular uh, Lebanese deli in Boston that my uh, uncles and aunts bring up with them when they come up for the Thanksgiving okay. holiday. Lebanese, that was it. Okay, got it. And that won't unfortunately be happening this year. Aww. The the big sending family gathering has been broken up into little sort of nuclear clusters. Sibling and okay. parent groups are getting together independently. And then we'll do a big Zoom call where we'll get the larger 40, 50 person group together virtually. But that also means less traveling around. Pooja and I will be hosting our little cluster group here. So I think on oh, Thanksgiving nice. Day – we will be hosting, but we won't actually get to go visiting. Um, but we will then the next day go see pa Pooja's parents. Yeah, yeah. But, but before we get to the Pooja's parents, so you're going to be hosting at your house. 
Tell me something, cousin who loves the vacuum cleaner. How many times will you be vacuuming the house before all your guests come over? Oh, you and your pre-party <laughs> checklist would be so happy with me. <laughs> because I spent the weekend, I went top to bottom. I did the baseboards. So you did I had the, the wand big clean. Out. Okay. The big clean is done. There will be a little touch up. Like- Later this week. Two wonderfully rambunctious little girls and a wife who is a wizard in the kitchen. I'm imagining, like, are you going to have to do, like, another round of touch-up before everybody comes? Or are you, like, that amazing person who's really good at, once you've cleaned it big time, you can then keep it that way for, like, days? Oh, I got a couple days in me. I can do it. (laughs) And it's so much easier when you know the underlayer is taken care of. I mean, I can throw toys back in bins. And I can yeah. wipe down surfaces as long as the deep clean's done. I'm I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. I'm feeling pretty you good. You also, unlike me, your dog doesn't shed, and I have a dog and a cat who both shed like crazy. And so there's there's definitely a lot going on in terms of like if I vacuum on a Tuesday for a Thursday party, Wednesday night, you better believe I'm going to be doing another little vacuum or, or Thursday morning before the party starts or something like that. I'm golf clapping over here. You can't hear it because I'm being quiet near the mic, but I appreciate hearing this and what about yourself what's the what's the big day looking like the it's very traditional peter trisha post family thanksgiving it'll be spent with my sister and her husband and their two kids out at my parents house we will be doing that very classic table setting that you see in our table setting video and it will kind of have all those feels of my very traditional, very standard Thanksgiving day. But it'll be just us immediate family. Oftentimes, my aunt who uh, lives down in uh, Lynn, Massachusetts, would come up with her boyfriend. Sometimes we might get like some friends who are, you know, in town and, and don't have a place to go. I kind of get a little sad that it's not a bigger celebration. Don't get me wrong. I love my immediate family and and all of the joy that they bring. But I also they're kind of the only people I've celebrated anything with in the past two years. Yeah. And I gotta say, I really miss having the mix of other people. And I, I miss the dishes that they bring. We call him my Uncle Jack, even though they're not married. But he um, always requests a chocolate cream pie. And that's like one of my favorite pies. So when chocolate cream pies started showing up at Thanksgiving for Jack, I was like bowled over. And I guarantee that we're not going to do one just because Don't. of me. And so I miss kind of having some of those other people and the dishes they bring and the conversation that they bring and just the getting to see them. I, I really miss that part of it. But um, but we will be doing um, not a turkey, just a turkey breast, and we will, which... I will say, of all the things that if I was going to eat off the turkey I would want, it would be that drumstick. So I might have to convince my mom to pick one up. Special Um, request of the host. You got it. And this was one of those supply chain things. Apparently, our local butchers have been having a really hard time getting pork belly, which we do. The uh, Last year, we did for the first year a porchetta, which is some kind of pork cut wrapped in in pork belly and seasoned with all kinds of herbs. And it's Fresh delicious. herbs and rubbed yeah, with oils. Mm. It totally comes from my parents and my family's love of Italy and time spent there and um, just how good that tastes and how good it would taste with the rest of the meal. So we will be doing another one of those. But because you can't get pork belly, it'll be all wrapped in bacon, which, you know, th- it, things could be harder. You got to <laughs> like, do what you got to do, right? You got to do what you got to do. And this is one of those meals where I go flexitarian for it. And I'm really happy to to eat meat and participate. But um, But that's kind of what our Thanksgiving is looking like. My guess is that you know, but by the evening, it'll be left, you know, leftovers or seconds, second helpings, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's, it'll be, it'll be kind of quiet and simple, but I've, I've got a lot of friends who have talked about things like they agreed among all their family to take antigen chests and things like that. And, you know, it's been interesting kind of hearing how people are preparing for the gathering, whether that's like you doing some zooms where you would normally do a full get together or the family from Boston, not coming up in in both our cases, but it's, it's definitely like a, a, another definitely tweaked year of thanksgiving yeah no part of our pre-party checklist was also get your covid test in time to get your results in time to confirm with hosts and guests as to what your status is absolutely that host guest dance (laughs) ever present 
Well, I hope that everybody listening had a phenomenal Thanksgiving and that yeah. you are feeling as well-fed and rested and relaxed and as ready for the next phase of the holiday season as we are hoping that we're going to be feeling right now. Speaking of right now, Lizzie Post, we have some questions to get to. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, leave a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or you can find us on social media. On Twitter, we're at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media post so that we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question this week is about a plus one problem. Hello, awesome etiquette team. Thank you so much for all your wonderful advice. I am a longtime listener and love seeing new episodes pop up in my Patreon page. Now to my question. Two months ago, my fiance and I sent out save the dates to our wedding, which will be in May next year. Congratulations. Yay! A few days ago, he received an invitation for his cousin's destination wedding in Europe, which will be held a few weeks after our wedding. The invitation was addressed only to him, and when he went to RSVP on their wedding website, he was not allowed to add a plus one to his response for the rehearsal dinner or reception. But he was able to add a guest, me, to the day after breakfast event. I was surprised, and a bit hurt, to be left off both the invite and the wedding website RSVP page especially since his cousin confirmed receiving our save the date and saw my name and face on that. I also can't help but think it might be a simple mistake to leave off someone's soon-to-be spouse from either the paper invite or the website, but not both. So to me, it seems like I was intentionally not invited, perhaps to keep their guest list small. What do you think we should do? A couple days ago, my fiancé requested, in writing, via the wedding website's RSVP page, if he could add his soon-to-be wife, me, to his party, but he hasn't heard back yet. I feel so embarrassed to ask again to join an event to which I was not invited, yet my fiancé's mother has insisted on me attending, regardless of whether I was invited or not. I feel like I am in a bind. To make my future mother-in-law happy, we have to squeeze an invite out of my fiancé's cousin. But every etiquette alarm bell in my body is going off about potentially doing this. I would appreciate any advice you have on how to navigate this tricky terrain with my future in-laws. Thank you so much. Anonymous. 
anonymous. This is a tough spot to be in. And I, I want to really validate how awkward this can feel. And at the same time, hopefully ease that awkwardness by just giving you our perspective on what we see here. And it, it it's a really hard situation that you're in because, you know, we don't know the players exactly. We don't know if, if your future mother-in-law is like, totally reasonable and 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 polite and and charming and wonderful and this is just a thing she can ease within the family or if she's pushing hard because i don't know she has a sibling rivalry going on or something like there's so many family dynamics that could make for a lot of assumptions to be made and things like that and I want to really just look at what you've given us to work with and and give you our perspective based on that. And Dan, the first thing that I'd like to try to reassure Anonymous about is that anytime you are working with something that is tech-based, and so we're talking about a, a website and a form that you're filling out, mm-hmm. um, it's connected to a guest list that was likely imported from some kind of Excel or Google Sheets document. There are just so many chances for a glitch to cause the type of error or the type of experience that you are having. And I wouldn't look at your – it's funny. When you get the invitation that's just to your fiancé, I can actually see the hope in you go to the website to RSVP and there's your name right along his and, and you're all set. And, and you're like, oh, no, they intended it. The calligrapher just left it off or the printer just left it off somehow. Or maybe the invitations were were generated before the invitation to the wedding that solidified – the awareness that you would be a spouse to be included, those time (laughs) windows could just not have lined up right. There are a bunch of things that could have happened that mean you are being presented with a situation where it looks like you've been left out. And really, that could be very unintentional. It could be an absolute mistake. Mm -hmm. And I think for at least the 13 years that I spent in therapy would teach me that when you don't know the truth to something yet, It is very easy to paint the negative picture and that really reminding yourself that you just don't know is a, is a a healthy and helpful thing to try to do. And it's hard because you're left waiting and, and anytime we're left waiting trying to figure something out, it's like our brain automatically tries to figure it out and we're just, we are prone to figuring out the negative side of it. And I think that it's a really common thing, but it, it is something that you kind of have to fight your own brain on. And the places where I would start to lean into Dan and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think leaning into the fact that your future mother-in-law is very adamant that this is a mistake that you should go, I think is a, to me, Unless there is some dynamic in that family that makes you hesitant about it, it would suggest that this was just a simple error of the logistics of planning a wedding. And it does happen. Names get left off spreadsheets. They think, oh, you know, cousin, of course, we're going to invite cousin Jack like and and his fiance. And then someone once they got that save the date card that has your face and name on it never went and put your name into the sheet. I mean, it, it can be so simple like that. I'm not saying it's good, but it can be simple. (laughs) But I think that I would really lean into my mother-in-law trying to sort this out. It's, It's her family. And you are close enough in this family and going to be a member of this larger family that I think it's it's worth it to have her kind of do the digging, pound the pavement, I guess, to try to find out what's going on here. I wouldn't worry about trying to get a repeat of the physical invitation um, and have it all properly done. I, I would just accept any confirmation that the hosts, that the couple are absolutely, you know, wanting you to come and be a part of this and, and, and the events associated with it. That would be my, okay, I can go. If I was only hearing it from my mother-in-law I'm, and if I never was able to get the confirmation from the couple themselves, I think I would have a little bit of a harder time going. I don't know exactly how I would handle that part of it, but my guess is that 
you are likely to have your mother-in-law sort this out and that you you could feel comfortable going to this event um knowing that it that it was just an an error of again like we said all these tiny details that have to come together to make a wedding happen you know lizzie i'm feeling very similarly about the whole okay. situation I, I was thinking about it from a what are the etiquette baselines perspective and for us a very clear etiquette baseline is that spouses, long-term partners, in this case, a fiancé that will be married to the person who's being invited before the event happens, yeah. <laughs> um, are, are, are give-me's as far as a host yeah. is concerned, that yep. you, you can't separate spouses or, or really long-term established partners in that way. It's not a fair thing to do as a host. So from a baseline perspective, assuming the best intent of other people, I think it's really reasonable to assume that there was some kind of mistake or error, whatever the cause, and that once it gets sorted out, you will be included in that invitation and to proceed to make plans if booking a flight to Europe is part of that process. Right. I think it's, that a, you can, it's a destination wedding, right? <laughs> and I don't want to say, go ahead, book that flight. You're fine. But in general, I would be thinking about that as being the course of action that I was likely to follow if the offense isn't so great that your husband would be considering not going. And right. that's certainly another option. And just from absolutely establishing our, our baselines, yeah. if you're not included, if that was the intent, it becomes a very reasonable thing for your future husband, now fiance, to say, I, I, I thank you so much for the invitation. I really wish you the best Can't on your accept. special mm -hmm. day, but I won't be able to attend. Yeah. And that is not a um, – I don't think a likely outcome here, but I, I, it, 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 it's I certainly a course of action. And it tells you where your control really lies in the situation, which is for mm -hmm. me always a really comforting thing to know. Lizzie, I like that you leaned into using the mother as or the mother-in-law as a potential channel. Kind of like I go do, between, yeah. Like. I do think those family back channels are what you're looking to work here. And and if like you say, if she's really involved in the wedding and the planning, a, a, an affirmation from her might be enough. I, I had also been wondering about the nature of that. Um, I filled out an online form on the website. I sent my request in writing. Yeah, and wh whether it's a glitch or it comes across as a comment on an rsvp that may or may not get read it's or a they might not know that they can receive messages like that i mean i know people who've used wedding websites and stuff and rsvp services and they're not fully aware of all the functions that might i'm sure i miss places some. to collect yeah exactly exactly and there's both the the nature of the communication and the timing that it hasn't been that long. It's been a few days, maybe at this point it's been a week or two. But I think that establishing some kind of more direct, more human communication where you can get confirmation about the reply mm -hmm. is is worthwhile. And whether it's the mother, I was imagining the fiance might be the channel. But I think mm -hmm. that a phone call or um, – if you're close enough that you see them, maybe you cross paths at church, something like that. Maybe not. Maybe the phone call is going to be the next most immediate type of communication. But oftentimes that in-person contact allows you to communicate subtly and communicate, oh, this happened. We're trying to figure out what to do. We mm -hmm. want to book flights. And this was the, the place where I thought I might have some sample script advice that might be oh, helpful. Give it a try. The, Whoever's doing that communicating on your behalf, and I think that it's – I wouldn't want to do that myself as the uninvited guest. I think it's reasonable to have the person that's more connected do it. They can mm -hmm. reference you as really being sure that you want to do the right thing. The mm -hmm. the the issue can be presented as my fiancé would love to come and she's pretty sure that it's okay, but it would make her feel so much more comfortable to know that you really – that this is coming from you, that they're – is enough room that at the venue that you know, this was a mistake. It wasn't a mistake. Or that it was a mistake. <laughs> yeah. That you would want to know from the couple that it really was a mistake and that now as they think clearly about the entirety of the situation, they would, would really like you to be there. And I think that's going to be a really easy transition for them to make given that etiquette baseline that we talked about at the start. Anonymous, thank you so much for the question. We hope that everything resolves and resolves in a way that everyone can feel good about and that you end up both having a wonderful wedding yourself, attending a hopefully beautiful wedding in Europe, and that you have a great relationship with your in-laws moving forward. Rules in action. Rules that keep things going smoothly and fairly. Rules that help us get where we're going. 
Help us work together, play together, and live together. Our next question is titled Mrs. Mess. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I love awesome etiquette and listening to you two delve into the why of etiquette, which is rooted in consideration of others. I've been bumping into something for years and just now realize it's an etiquette question that I'm hoping the two of you will help me with. It's a social norm where my husband and I live for children and young people to address adults with titles like Ms., Miss, Mrs., Mr. and Doctor, and not by first names. Our teenage children's friends and classmates and our neighbor's children and other young people I encounter call me Mrs. Smith. I like this. In turn, my children also use titles for adults. Every time I meet anyone, I feel compelled to introduce myself and say my name so the other person is at ease and knows what to call me. I do this socially with other adults and in business, and I feel the same way when meeting children. I want them to know who I am by my full name, so I introduce myself with my first and last name. Is it bad manners somehow elevating my own status if I give myself the title Mrs.? I say I'm Jessica Smith and hope the young person knows to call me Mrs. Smith and not Jessica. We just got back from a family weekend at our son's school. I said, hello, I'm Jessica Smith, all weekend, and all the teenagers then called me Mrs. Smith. I thought well of them for it and was even a little relieved that none of them said, hi, Jessica. Are titles like Mrs. self-bestowed? I have a strong feeling that saying I'm Mrs. Smith is wrong. I also have a strong feeling that children should bestow titles to adults as a default and only use an adult's first name if invited to by that adult. Saying something like, I'm Jessica, please call me Mrs. Smith, while crystal clear, sounds self-important, has the ring of a petty bureaucrat. I have this issue in signing emails, too. I email with a high school student who is volunteering her time to help with a nonprofit with which I'm involved. She is very respectful and always calls me Mrs. Smith in her email greetings, which I appreciate very much. How do I sign my emails to her? I want her to keep calling me Mrs. Smith. Is it then correct to sign my emails, Mrs. Smith? Thank you for considering this. I'm excited to hear back from you because I'm ready to put your advice into action. The issue comes up all the time. Sincerely, Lizzie and Dan, please call me Jess. <laughs> thank, thank you, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> Jess, thank you so much for this question. Having just read it, I'm still tempted to call you Mrs. Smith. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you also did the thing um, that I appreciate so much, which is you gave Lizzie and I some clear direction about what you would like to be called. And I really think that's got to be the the crux of our answer here. That's got to be the mm -hmm. etiquette point that we return to. One thing that came through to me very clearly as I was reading your question was how much this means to you, how much it it builds a structure in your life that you really appreciate. And that mm -hmm. I don't think that's just you. I think there are people that appreciate the use of titles and honorifics for all kinds of reasons, both the way it makes the person receiving them feel, the way it can provide some really clear direction for someone who's trying to figure out what to call someone. Mm -hmm. And there's a real comfort I find in both sides of that equation and feeling secure and that you're getting it right. And I think that's what you want to help people with because this does matter to you. Yeah. There is absolutely nothing wrong with telling people that you like to be called Mrs. Smith. And mm -hmm. you asked the very specific question, how are these titles bestowed on someone? How do you earn them? And and no one gives them to you. They, they're they really connected to your identity and how you understand yourself mm -hmm. as a woman, as a married woman. Those are the, the criteria that mm -hmm. establish you as a missus. And as such, you don't need to worry about presenting yourself in a way that is inauthentic or is assuming some sort of responsibility that you don't have. You can really think about it as – this is the way I like to be addressed by this particular person. So I'm going to let them know that by introducing myself in a way that gives them the information that they need to really to do it well. 
And it's it's not untrue. You are Mrs. Smith. It's not like you're trying to claim a title of like Lady Smith or something like that. Exactly. And I think sometimes in our culture today, it is very true that titles aren't presented as often as they were, I think, for instance, when my parents were growing up in the 50s and 60s. And I think that a lot of people have moved into the zone of of wanting to be called Jessica by both their peers, the, the other adults that they know, as well as the kids in their lives. And that's fine for people for whom that resonates. But it doesn't mean that there aren't people who still really appreciate the misses and Jess is one of them. And so it's I think it's it, it's something that if this is something you appreciate, if it's something that is prevalently done in your region and you appreciate it, I think that it's really something you should feel confident um, requesting or, or using in your own self-introduction. There's certainly nothing wrong with it. There's nothing I would think lofty about it. It is more formal, though. It's it's not the familiar version of your name, which is your first name. And that's just a, a it, it might be even just that little bit of formality that feels um, lofty or something. And, and I think I think we can we can definitely say that it, it really is an OK practice to do. There's nothing about it that means that you are putting on airs or somehow rising above your life in some way. I was thinking about a particular detail around this, which has to do with how often you're doing a self-introduction with someone younger than you. I think that Mm. very often the case is that other people are making that introduction or are preparing that introduction in some Ah, way. Yeah. It's like the parent, the the kid's parent or teacher or something like that. Exactly. I think that the – the opportunities where we're doing self-introductions with children are relatively few and far between. And mm-hmm. it may be that it happens more regularly in your life than in someone else's. But I would also look to the the parents or the grown-ups around me as people that I would want to have a discussion with about this in exactly the way you've had this discussion with us so that you can really remove – any ambiguity that might exist and you can set them up to set their children or their students up really well when they interact with you. It might be the person that manages the the internship program that connected you with the student that you do the nonprofit work with, that mm-hmm. you're someone who really appreciates the use of titles, particularly with people that are younger than you. And then that can become a really clear expectation for the people that are involved with that program. And it can be part mm-hmm. of their learning process and their experience communicating in that semi-professional environment or that pre-professional environment. Because I think you're right about talking to other adults. I also think that that you would want to make sure your kids know that when they're introducing you to their friends, that they say, this is my mom, Mrs. Smith, you know, and because this brings me to question a little bit of the crystal clear sample script that uh, Jess gave to us, which is I'm Jessica Smith. Please call me Mrs. Smith. And I'm thinking, and I kind of want your your business brain angle on this, that that sends a confusing mixed message, even though it, I know we just called it crystal clear and there's the actual line, please call me Mrs. Smith. But it almost seems like maybe that sense of self-importance or petty bureaucratiness, the, the petty bureaucratiness that uh, Jess is talking about is coming from the idea that you've introduced that familiar name and then you're telling someone, don't don't call me that, call me this. You know, or you're implying, don't call me that, call me this. Um, is there, yeah, would you modify that that in self-introduction when you do have to do it? I might. I think that I might just go with the please call me Mrs. Smith. If that, or hi, I'm Mrs. Smith. <laughs> or hi, I'm Mrs. Smith. Or yeah. it's so good to meet you, so-and-so, I'm Mrs. Smith. Yes, yeah. To me, that's the simpler route, and it's probably the route that I would choose to go if this really was important to me and I wanted to be sure that I started off on the right foot with people addressing me the way I was sure that I wanted to be addressed. If I had a little more latitude in my mind, if I said to myself, I I really appreciate this, I care about it, I like it, but it's not something that I feel like I need to have everyone do or I want to instruct people to do. In some ways, that's that approach to me keeps the the experience itself special and and not that it isn't special when it's done universally, but that when when a young person chooses to do that, I think that there is something about it that says I, I'm, I'm making this choice. And mm-hmm. 
to leave room for that choice, if you want to offer your full name to someone, I think that that is that isn't also a very reasonable thing to do by today's etiquette standards. Mm-hmm. But I also think that if you choose to go that route, then I, I would leave aside any judgment if someone did start to call yeah. me by my first name. That I would I'm, say, I'm, yes, if someone right goes that route, mm-hmm. I'm going to say that's not my preference. But this is a choice that I've left in their hands, and that's mm-hmm. that's the direction they've gone with it. I think that's a really important point to bring up that if you do just introduce yourself as Jessica Smith, you are leaving yourself open to get that first name association or that 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 young person coming back using your first name and that to then say you know oh i i noticed how pleased i was that no one did it to me that's the really good indicator that you should probably just be giving people the mrs smith because if someone did come back and you look unfavorably on the on them for something or not even like unfavorably but just it's it's noticeable that they didn't use the misses, that they didn't make that choice. I think you're kind of setting someone up for potential failure there. It's almost like providing a test, and that's not a very considerate thing. And I don't think that Jess is walking around testing people with this. Um, but I think that if the dynamic that starts to come to mind is – I noticed that I really appreciated that every kid I met called me Mrs. It it would make me think I should just present myself as the Mrs. because it is what I appreciate. And I would notice it and maybe even not think as well of it if a kid called me Jessica, then just don't give them that that suggestion to do so. Jess, thank you so much for this question. We really appreciate the chance to talk about the importance of and the value in these social titles. And it's a really great reminder that there are still people out there and you are not one of few um, who really appreciate their use. And I think this is a great sort of formality check reminder to a lot of us. And we really appreciate getting the question. We hope that our answer helps as you are introducing yourself to others. Yes, your manners are showing all day long. There's a pleasant, well-mannered group of young people, not like some. Our next question is about collectible chaos. Mm. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. I'd describe my decor style as minimalist. I've never been one for trinkets or little decor pieces, especially because in my mind, I feel all they really do is collect dust. I prefer bigger or bolder modern wall decor or wall art instead. I like clean and empty surfaces. That being said, about two years ago, when we found out we were pregnant with our first child, my mother-in-law, who is a huge trinket person, sweetly gifted us one of those willow tree figurines of a man and a woman holding their baby. I thought it was a thoughtful gesture and displayed it on our bookshelf, where it still currently lives. Since then, we've been given 13 more figurines by her, some for Mother's Day, birthdays, holidays, or just because and it's driving me a bit crazy. I've had to purchase a small shelf just to hold them all, and they don't really match our style anyways. The first one was incredibly sweet to me because it symbolized the start of a new journey in our life, but the rest of them just aren't necessary. I also feel like when I receive a gift like this, I must display them. My husband feels the same way. In our marriage, we typically have each other deal with our own families. But I think this is something I need to confront my mother-in-law about, since 99% of the figurines are gifted to me. I absolutely hate sounding ungrateful, because I know these gifts are coming from a good place, and the intention behind them is genuine. And I definitely don't want to hurt my mother-in-law's feelings, or seem like a brat about it, even though they will most likely be hurt a little bit. Do you have any advice, or sample scripts? Thank you. Sincerely, Collectible Chaos. Oh boy, collectible chaos. You are on like one of many. This we hear about this this sort of situation a lot and uh especially when we start to come up on the holidays, that issue of you've received a gift you're not really excited about. And it's from someone close enough to you who would notice if like it wasn't around, if it just disappeared right after it had been given. Um, and I think that that can be a difficult spot to be in. But because there's a couple of things I picked up from this question that I think our collectible chaos could lean into. Mm-hmm. And one is that often the spouse deals with their own family. And I'm thinking that when the next gift giving opportunity comes up, 
that maybe the spouse could reach out ahead of time with some suggestions and say something like, hey, I'm just I'm trying to be on it with, uh, you know, Ellen's birthday this year. And so I've got some great suggestions if you'd like to take a look. And that's an offer. It's not a direction. It's just like I've, I've got some ideas if you want to see the kinds of things, you know, she's been interested in or into lately. And I think that that would be perfectly OK. Kind of we, we talked in another question about family back channel. You know, to kind of work. And I definitely receive gift lists from my sister for my brother in law. I receive suggestions from my brother in law about my sister. So, not uncommon for couples, you know, who, who live together to operate this way among their families. The other thing that I think collectible chaos could lean into is, is frankly, this might be a bold suggestion. Like, once again, I feel the need to say, walk me back if I'm going too far. <laughs> but keep the one willow tree display figurine that you like up, the one that means something to you, and put the rest away. They don't have to be displayed, um, you know, or it might be that right after Mother's Day, you you put the Mother's Day one up, but you then take it down like a week later because, you know, holiday's over. But I don't think this needs to be something that turns into its own special clutter zone in your home that feels really out of sync with the rest of your home. And I think you can lean into your minimalist style that if someone asks like, oh, what happened to all the other figurines? You say, you know, I'm a real minimalist. And I, I just I started seeing the whole collection grow and I really wanted to simplify. And so we've, we've kept out the one that, you know, just means the world to us or something like that. And I think it a little bit hints that the others aren't quite as appreciated. I get that. But I feel like it could be the, the minimalist thing. The minimalist aesthetic is how I explain my sister getting rid of the gifts that I buy her like every five years. She's a clean out person. She's someone who does that. Sometimes I end up with them, like, you know, <laughs> not because they're regifted, but because she goes like, you know, hey, I'm about to bring some stuff to the Goodwill or sell it on, you know, Poshmark or something. Do you want to come look first? And I'm like, hey, that's the necklace I got you. And she's like, yeah, and I just don't wear it anymore. And there is that moment of hurt. And then there's also that moment of reality check, Lizzie. You don't wear everything well, you bought five years it? ago. No, I'm probably like, not going to take it. Like, yeah, no, exactly, because exactly. So in some ways, collectible chaos, they say, lean into the reality of life. You know, not everything is a perfect match and things do kind of move on at times. And um, whether your aesthetic is staying the minimalist or change, whatever it is, I think it's okay to kind of lean into a bit of that over time. I had very similar thoughts on this question. I was thinking yeah. that your etiquette responsibilities when you receive a gift pretty much end with the genuine thanks yep. for, for the appreciate for that even if not for the gift itself, for the effort, for the thought and mm -hmm. for the effort to honor the relationship, even if like the effort on the gift itself wasn't that that much. Mm -hmm. That you pass through that moment with grace and with care for everyone. And that after that, part of a gift-giving etiquette is that you're not that attached on what people do with it, that it's given freely. And as you say, you're you're not obligated to wear that sweater or display the figurines. It can be thoughtful to do it if, mm -hmm. if, you, if it's not a big cost or if you like mm -hmm. it or if you do like the sweater or you do like that first figurine. I loved your sample script language, Lizzie Post, about um, how, <laughs> how, how wonderful and meaningful it was for you. The first one was, yeah. It, it is. And, and that's a great place to keep the focus and the attention. And that can help get over the maybe the little herd of, oh, no, clearly they don't like displaying all of them. They don't enjoy the collecting aspect or the displaying the set aspect that, mm -hmm. that maybe your mother-in-law does. Yeah. I'm such a nerd. I start to say to myself, well, you know, it's nice to just have collectibles. You could get yourself a, a storage <laughs> box and, you know, say I've, I've got a growing collection of X, Y, or Z. I just don't display them all the time. And that could be another sample script direction that you might take. And mm -hmm. I had thought like you, Lizzie, about maybe rotating one or two that were seasonal or appropriate with the one that you really like. Yeah. But, but you don't have to. And put me squarely in that camp of I – I love clean surfaces and um, yes, less do. dusting also. <laughs> I was honestly, I was inspired when I read the question. I was like, you know, 
I've got some paring down. Like there are some Emily Post books that could definitely go into a, a closet or a box instead of being on a shelf. You know, there's 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 a lot of little things that end up in my house that I think I, w- I would do well for a little bit of that minimalist paring down lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> But Lizzie Post, I'll tell you, I took a crack at some sample scripts of things that I would say to my mother-in-law, and they didn't – any one of them passed the Lizzie test of I could uh, say this out loud. I cringed Lizzie quietly. Lizzie Post would let me Lizzie put cringed. it on the podcast. Exactly. <laughs> Just so you know, guys, I do not sit around poo-pooing Dan's uh, Dan's sample scripts, but there is a certain tone that you hit. And when you hit it, you're like, oh, that doesn't sound good. No. And it is. It's it's me imagining you kind of looking at me (laughs) with a questioning look saying, would you really say that? Like, that doesn't sound like you. That doesn't sound nice. Yeah. And I, I had a hard time figuring out how to tell someone to please stop giving me a particular thing. Had no problem with the husband telling the mother that maybe a different type of gift would be good. But the direct ask from you not didn't feel as good, right? And and my direct ask through my husband wasn't even that direct an ask. It was a yeah, lot like yours. it was like, like a s- soft suggestion. It was yeah, about totally. gift suggest- suggestions, things that you'd really like or she'd really like. And returning to our idea of baseline etiquette, mm-hmm. the the real etiquette of the situation is that it's hard to give someone a lot of specific direction around gift giving. And it's particularly hard to tell someone, no, that one didn't land well enough that in the future I wouldn't do it again. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Very hard to say that well. (laughs) Unless there are some other set of factors at play where it's for some reason important that you talk to someone about not doing it again. If Mm -hmm. the Gift was offensive, for instance. Or... If it was offensive or if it was going to cause someone really undue effort or expense to continue to do it in a way that, that was disproportionate to the joy they had giving it to you. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything harmful about leaving the impression that you're appreciative receiving a gift, even if the gift itself isn't exactly what you would pick for yourself. Mm-hmm. Collectible chaos. We hope that your gift giving experiences are a little less chaotic moving forward. You certainly don't sound ungrateful to us, and we certainly appreciate the care that you're taking with your relationships. And look, this dispute was settled fairly, and so Jerry and Eddie are still good friends, just as they always were. It's worthwhile to know many ways to settle disputes. Our next question is about in person thank yous. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you so much for all of the wonderful advice over the last few years. I've been a huge fan of your podcast and the books. I finally have a quick question to submit. First, I'm a big fan of thank you notes, but do you send them to the giver if you were able to thank them in person? In this instance, my fiance and I received a gift basket from my soon-to-be in-laws when they came to see our new home. Thank you and hope to hear back. Kay. Kay, I so want to throw this question to Lizzie Post because this I, used to be her I, favorite question to answer. <laughs> Lizzie Post, do you want to offer some absolution out there before we say that it would be a good idea to send the note anyway, even though you don't yes, have to? Totally. <laughs> the absolution is that when you've given this in-person thank you and you can really be genuine and express your gratitude, um, show your enthusiasm when the person gets all of the the messaging, uh, your facial expression, the tone in your voice, your gestures, all of that, that that in-person thank you really is enough. It's a good thank you. It communicates what you want. It does it with the the most amount of you possible. As soon as we start writing or texting or thank yous, we lose a little bit of that, even though a thank you note is still a very important thing. And now I will get to the advice that Dan has already, already given you, which is it's never a bad idea to send a thank you note. So if you are someone, as you claim, who is a big fan of thank you notes, I think that it would be fine for you to send a follow-up after they leave. Like, boy, I just used, you know, whatever it was from that gift basket, and I was so grateful for it. I just had to write to you and say thank you again. It is so wonderful. Like, there's just nothing wrong with that. There is also a subset of sort of um, our, our, our 
I was about to say society, and that did not feel like the right word, even though it technically is, who appreciate that thank you note no matter what. And they there are some people who kind of expect it. We we put out there that you shouldn't expect it if somebody has thanked you in person. But it's, it's again, it just never hurts to send that thank you note just in case you're dealing with somebody like that. Thank you, Lizzie Post, for doing the obligatory <laughs> um, absolution. The, the example that I always think of that I love to yeah. offer people is a very personal one, which is that growing up, the stewards of the Emily Post tradition for me and Lizzie were our grandparents, Bill and Libby Post, Mud and Poppy to us. And the holiday at their house was one of my favorite things growing up. It was just something I looked forward to every year and look back on with fond memories. And when you got a gift from Mud and Poppy – it was oftentimes for me the the gift I waited for. It was the one it, – it, it had significance for me. I loved my grandparents and yeah. I never wrote thank you notes for those gifts because they were exchanged in person at the house and <laughs> we made an effort to find the person in all the chaos whose gift you were opening and to connect with them and to, to do all those things that made that in-person thank you register, that it was about the gift. It was about a shared experience and – and we were so close with them that yep. that was enough. And it was the spirit that Emily offered the idea that you didn't always need to send a thank you note, that there are some mm -hmm. people in life who you're just close to. And it's enough. The experience of being there with you is not just enough. It's everything that they would want. And that thought is is what I really hold on to when I think about this advice. Because I also oftentimes have that <laughs> counterthought in my mind that's because it's not expected, because it's not a have to, that thank you note can land so well. Yep. And there were two things in your very short question that put my little etiquette flags up. And one was in-laws and the other was new home. <laughs> yep. And that these are <laughs> these are little details that start to rise to a level of significance and import in life that that follow up, not have to, but I choose to. Um, might be a real investment in a relationship that I, I don't know how new or or, or, or what uh, where you are with your in-laws in terms of closeness or how long you've known them, how well you know them. But those are definitely relationships to take care with. And thinking about moving into a new home is a big time in someone's life. And if someone's made an effort to to do something for you at Get that moment gift, or that yeah. time, the idea that you might say, "I'm gonna I'm gonna walk from the I really should do this." territory into the it would be good if i did this territory yeah. um are, are, are things that i think are worth thinking about so what i take away from everything you just said is that you were not writing thank you notes to mud and poppy every christmas but i was Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't know what that does. I don't know if that means you got to watch more cartoons in your childhood or play more video games or run around outside longer. But I will. I I had to definitely write thank you notes to Mud and Poppy for my Christmas gifts each year. And I like you. I went up for the big family gathering at the house at North Farm, and you know we did that. And but we were. I think my mom used it as that opportunity. You know that well. You're going to be writing it to Granny Pat and Papa John, my other grandparents anyway so why not write you know like this is just good practice and you know it's a chaotic day i'm sure you thank them well but it's nice to take the time to sit and express that so you know for all of my you're absolved you're absolved you don't have to do it um between dan and i i was the one sitting at home writing the thank you notes after and I, I i i we have to hear from a psychologist who listens to awesome etiquette about <laughs> The one that didn't write the notes thinking that it's really important and the one that did saying no one should be forced to do. <laughs> Kay, thank you so much for letting us delve, delve a little bit into our own uh, thank you note experiences, but for also being someone who is out there thinking of the best ways to show gratitude to the people in their life. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are awesomeetiquette. Just remember, use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show.
If you love awesome etiquette, please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesome etiquette, where memberships start at just $1 per month. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help keep awesome etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today we have feedback from Elizabeth on episode 375 and email threads. Hi Lizzie and Dan. A great way to dismiss someone from an email thread is to move them to the BCC list and let them know that you've done so. That way they no longer receive the emails and you don't have to start a new thread. I usually say something like, thanks, Lizzie, moving you to BCC so that you don't get spammed up with this thread moving forward. Then when people reply moving forward, that person is no longer receiving the new emails. This lets that person know that they're being removed, but also gives them the opportunity to respond if they want to stay on the thread. Thanks for all you do. I'm getting married in two days and have put so much of your advice to use, and it has made for a very smooth and pleasant wedding experience. Elizabeth. Oh, that's nice. Congratulations on the upcoming wedding. I I hadn't seen the little uh, coda to that feedback. Congratulations, (laughs) Elizabeth. And we're so glad it's been helpful. Dan, can you explain something to me? Because I thought BCC was that you still received the email. Help me understand, because this sounds like a really good idea, but but I wasn't I felt like I wasn't hip to the business scene here. Oh, yeah. No, this is a good move. This is a, a an emerging business courtesy. No question. And OK, you're right. It, it Moving to the BCC, it does function to uh, remove you from the reply list after that email gets sent. So because you went from the the general CC to the BCC, you're BCC'd on the first one when the next person, either the individual you've been introduced to or the group that's continuing with the project, hit reply all. You're now on the BCC. And the the real courtesy to it is that you mention it in the body of the email. So that someone knows it's happening and and it and it, it, it it just works beautifully and that we haven't talked – we might have talked about it on the show at one point, but we didn't mm-hmm. do a deep dive on it because there are a lot of different versions of it that can happen. But as mm-hmm. long as you do that, there, there are different reasons people do it, different whys and whens in the course of an exchange. You might move someone to BCC. But it's that mentioning it in the body of the email that really – ties it all together and makes it work it's a a a great piece of feedback and definitely a a move to think about and and keep in your toolbox because it does what it ends up doing is reducing the amount of spam that people Mm -hmm. get it lets you just continue that same conversation but the people who don't need to be a part of it have the option to sort of fall out of it as you go along okay gotcha Elizabeth, thank you so much for this feedback. And I think we have to thank you for inspiring a future Postscript segment once we are through our holiday rush. I think this would make an excellent Postscript topic. So thank you so much for the feedback. Elizabeth, I second those thanks. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next piece of feedback, update, or question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can also leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today, while we've had some very long questions, we are going to do a very quick dive into holiday gift giving for anyone who would like to ease a little anxiety or have a little reminder of the best ways to gift this holiday season. I love that spirit because gift giving is such a, a big part of many people's traditions this time of year. And we know because of the number of questions we get about it that anxiety creeps up around all different aspects of gift giving. And the whole point of gift giving is really to share and to show someone that you love and appreciate them by giving them a little something. So keeping the spirit there is both the intent of this postscript and the first great piece of advice about gift giving, which is really tap into that spirit of generosity, really tap into that piece of advice that is so old it can sound cliched but we need to keep it fresh and new for ourselves every time we hear it which is that it really is the thought that counts so yeah. invest a little bit of your yourself and your attention in the things that you give people and that will come shining through and 
the whole experience should work the way that you would hope it would. That's right. You want to be thinking about the person receiving this gift probably more than you want to think about the person giving the gift. Um, I know I can sometimes get really excited about coming up with the perfect gift. And let me tell you all, I nailed it with my dad's gift last year. I got him a drone. I found one that I could afford and I got my sister to go in on it with me. Um, like it was that good of a gift that you didn't want to leave your sibling out. And Getting a drone, which combines his love of flying, he used to be a pilot, with um, his love of photography, which he he got his MFA in, we nailed it. This was not something he wanted, not something he was thinking about. This was a surprise, and we've had so much fun with the drone this past year, um, including the time that we launched it way up into a tree and it broke. But honestly, has been a great gift. It was. Um, it's not going to be repeated this year, as a, as a, in terms of a level of perfect gift gift. But I'm really trying, for instance, to think about my dad and what he loves. Um, Our classic example comes straight from him, which is that a golfer loves golf balls, but that you really do want to have the other person feel that you were thinking of them so that that thought can be what counts. And that's that's really imperative to that first piece of advice. Our second piece of advice is a little bit more practical, I would say, and it's that you should really stick within your own budget. So as you're thinking about getting ready to select gifts for the year, you know, a lot of us do the thing where we write up the list of people that we want to be giving to, and we think about about how much we have to spend on each of them and sticking to that budget. It really is okay. It's really polite. It's a fine thing for you to do for, for yourself and in this very social experience that we have. Um, but you should never feel bad about sticking to your budget. Particularly if sticking to your budget allows you to feel really good about the gifts that you're giving yes! and not burdened such by them. Such a good them. point. Such a good point. <laughs> whether it's a budgetary reason or whether it's because you just love to make things, homemade gifts are absolutely appropriate. Not just appropriate. Oftentimes yeah. they are the best gifts that we give and receive. It doesn't necessarily have to be connected to budget. Although mm-hmm. if part of your budgeting is thinking about things that you can do yourself, that is a really reasonable way to honor that budget. Those homemade gifts can also sometimes be like really favored and, and traditional things. I know that between my mom and one of her her best friends throughout my childhood, the best friend always gave some kind of vinegar with a mother, you know, in it. And and that like it was something that they could reuse and, and you know, rego. And it was kind of like Lee's vinegar was always a thing. And going the other direction, my mom makes what's called hard sauce which is like delicious. I don't even know what goes into it, but it's some kind of alcohol and then like a super whipped cream to the point where it's like hardened almost. And it, it's delicious with pies and, and all kinds of desserts throughout the season. But um, I feel like homemade gifts can also be really traditionally in that like friend exchange category or that hostess gift or hosting gift, excuse me, category, um, which I think can be a fun, a fun traditional part of this season. On the other side of the gift coin, the <laughs> gift card can also be um, really appreciated. I certainly yeah. know that I don't mind walking out of the season with a stack of store credit at all of my favorite <laughs> online and in-person venues that I can execute on exactly in the ways that I know I'm going to enjoy the most. So Absolutely. if you're not able to invest of yourself and your time and your effort building or making something for someone, it, it, it is okay to give them a card to their favorite store or to a store that has something for everyone. No matter the gift, whether it is homemade, store-bought, or a gift card, or a check, or cash, whatever it is, one of the really special things, especially about the holiday season, is sort of our presentation of these gifts. And whether it's super fancy, frilly, with tons of bows wrapping, or it's um, a tradition that I know a lot of people love, which is using the Sunday comics or just the comic section of the newspaper to wrap up gifts. It's it's perfectly fine, but it really does make a difference to put a little bit of thought and effort into the presentation of the gift. Uh, gift cards, it's really wonderful to put them in an actual card. Some I know come with little tins or things that make it easier to wrap them or, or have them be a bit more festive, and that's a wonderful option as well. I love how wrap it is shorthand for think about presentation because it is so yes. much fun to think about presentation. And- <laughs> 
when I say to myself, oh, there's no way I can wrap that, then all of a sudden it becomes an exercise in how do I like place it and surprise the person or reveal it or um, – but it, it really can make a big difference in how a gift is received. Finally, the last tip that we want to leave you with is that I think, Dan, probably the part of gift giving this time of year that causes the most anxiety for people is the worry that they're not going to have a gift for someone in return, that they will have made someone's gift list that they then didn't have the person on their own gift list. And it is a season of gifting and the gifting experience is not meant to be one that that is always, I give a gift to you and you give a gift to me and we both say thank you. A gift exchange is really an exchange of a gift and a reply of a thank you. And, and that is something to um, hold on to this holiday season. Uh, it's so much better to just focus on the generosity that's been bestowed upon you and to focus on the gift that you've been given than to turn it around and sort of supersede the moment by going toward the idea that you don't have a gift in return or maybe even trying to create a little lie around it. Like, oh, it's on the way, you know, all that slow shipping they've been talking about. (laughs) Much better to just simply say thank you so much. And if it inspires you and you have it in your budget or or in your sort of homemade crafting abilities to get them something uh, at a different time during the holiday season, you're more than welcome to do so. But you should never feel bad that you don't have a gift in return. Focus on the gift that you've been given. Lizzie Post, is that the end of our holiday gift giving checklist for this postscript? It's the short of it. I mean, it's 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 clean and simple, and we are hoping that it helps to alleviate anxieties and get people excited about the gifting season ahead of us. And as this show lands on the Monday after Thanksgiving, we wish everyone the best of luck gifting this holiday season. And cuz that's a really good reminder that today is Cyber Monday, which means it's a great time to head over to the Emily Post website and check out our books and cards which make excellent gifts. Good reminder, Lizzie Post. Everywhere you go, your manners are with you, and they leave their mark. They help you feel sure of yourself too, and they make an impression on people, on everyone you meet. We could listen in on Jean's thoughts, for example. But, well, you take it from here. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world. And that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from David. Hi, awesome etiquette team. Happy holidays from Texas. I'm writing to salute my coworker Jenna. I got very sick recently, and many of the symptoms were COVID-like. Luckily, it turned out not to be COVID, but while I was awaiting my test results, I stayed home. Since I don't have family here, Jenna sweetly dropped off some soup at my doorstep. It's always nice to know there are people around who will help you out when you need it, especially when family is far away and it's the holiday season. Thanks for all you do, David. Oh, that's a sweet salute. And David, we certainly hope that you are on the mend and recovering well. And I will add my thanks to Jenna. Thank you for reminding us that there are kind people out there and that a little soup when you're sick can go a long way. Thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something and everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with friends, family, and coworkers, however you like to share podcasts. You can send us your next question, feedback, or salute to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesome etiquette, where memberships start at just $1 per month. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps our show ranking, which helps more people find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dow. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. And Bridget.